Good morning, church. Sounds like my voice is coming out of the speakers. That's a good, it's a good transition. It's been another perfectly smooth morning technology-wise here at Calvary Heights. <clears throat> we had a mic die last week, and I brought the replacement mic. I had the internet out this morning. A monitor died. Other than that, as we just talked about in our small groups, these afflictions prepare us for the eternal weight of glory. <clears throat> no, it's not an affliction. I know, kind of our, but it's the nature of things. Blessed to be here. Uh, happy as usual. Very pleased as we keep on trucking through Second Corinthians. Um, looking forward to today's sermon. As you're listening to these things, just to, to wax a little bit uh, philosophically, it may sound very repetitive week after week. Like It seems like we're talking about the same stuff. It's always witnessing to people and ministries and goodness. I mean, when are we going to get to the good news? And if that's not good news, please reach out to us because if there's something else that you have in mind that's more glorious and exciting than ministry in the name of Christ, which is all Paul is talking about. Uh, the riches of this world, all that stuff's going to fade away. It's not to say that it's good or bad, but if it sounds repetitive and it's a really big focus on, on the work and not a lot of focus on the joy, the work is the joy. The work is the joy. I have never felt such joy. And anybody that's done hard work at a job well done, it's the same thing. We look forward to a time in eternity where we get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. Um, so that's why we preach about what we preach about. And the reason that we're going straight through these books over and over again, just to reiterate it, is because the context is so rich. It's a wonderful way, I think, for me to be able to learn and talk about it. And I hope as folks are going through this with us, you're thinking the same thing. Like, I've never really considered how all these different little verses connect. And, uh, you know, Second Corinthians is, is a, a, a complete letter with a context in and of itself. And look how it relates to the first one. That's not a happenstance, and that's not a connection we're making in our brand. That's a connection, I think, that is very clearly manifested through the Word of God. So if you're here today and want to read along with, great. We'll be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to do all of chapter 5 today. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or just want to read along with me on the screen. Let's uh, hear the Word of the Lord. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, might live, those who live 
might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these passages. Thank you for these rich words. Uh, we just, you know, went over the last week's uh, passage in small group and the, the impact of the words, just hearing them read aloud. And uh, it's incredible, Lord. It, the, the power of your word is unrivaled, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that there is power in the word of God that transcends any power of mankind. And Lord, I pray that I wholly and completely rely on that power this morning and nothing of my own. Thank you for this opportunity to share the good news. In your son's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Let's see if the slide changes. Oh my gosh. Looks like it's going to work. Well-known verse alert. I mentioned this because this actually has a couple of verses that I think get cited a lot in the, the church. <laughs> and I love when they come up in the sermon series uh, because it gives us an opportunity to, oh yes, I've heard this. A lot of ears perk up. Oh yeah, yeah, this is stitched on a pillow. Or, you know, I remember memorizing this when I was in Sunday school. But pay attention to the context here. And I say it's likely different than you think with a smile because maybe you don't think that it's different. You understand the context completely. But uh, I, I think the context is important. And it does temper some of these well-known, heavily quoted scriptures into exactly what Paul's talking about. So he starts off with a reminder of heaven. Uh, this kind of curtails on what he was talking about in chapter 4 as well. Kind of a, 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 maybe a, a capstone on his thought or a final chapter on his thought about kind of the eschatological approach to what we do, right? There's a terminus here, and it's not this earth, and it's not the suffering, and it's not today or tomorrow. It's eternity. Uh, that seems odd because we talk about beginnings and end, but we have no end in Christ. It's eternity. So the, the end is no end at all. It's rather forever. Um, and it really should, for us, help us understand when we get called for reconciliation as ministry. We're asking this as a question, perhaps. I've never thought of it that way. I thought we were called to do different things. Paul is reminding everybody that, yes, heaven is coming, and it's going to be fantastic, and we long for it, and we should. But we know this is not the end. We know that, this, that earthly death merely frees us from this place. Paul uses tents here as a metaphor for our, our resurrected bodies, right, eventually. We have tents here. We look for the building. Uh, Rather than saying clothes, we're clothed in our body, he's just using tents there, right? We are here in what we've got today, but we long for better, better tents, better bodies in the future, something that doesn't suffer, doesn't get sick, doesn't hurt, is in the presence of the Lord, constantly renewed and fed and nurtured by the actual presence of God. This place is frustrating, but... The Holy Spirit is working now. Don't miss this, church. It's a, it's a very small line, perhaps, but it's a constant theme of what, what Paul's talking about. Be of good courage, church. The Spirit of God is with you. Paul, of course, 
is completely on fire for the work of Christ. But he's not here. He's not saying be of good courage because uh, you know remember that Christ died, right? Do that. Don't get me wrong. Do remember that Christ died, please. <laughs> That's a good thing. But there's a, the reason we can be of a good courage here is because the Spirit is also alive and with us right now. We are going to have to wait for heaven to be in the presence of Christ again, or at least his second coming, right? Maybe not all the way to heaven. I'm not trying to, 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 to get into some debate about the, the order of the end times here, but he's not here now. Christ is not on this earth. He has ascended to, to, to the throne with God the Father, who is also in the throne room. And it's good that we aren't seeing him right now because it would obliterate us. There's too much glory. We have to be in resurrected bodies, apparently, to commune. And we're not there yet. Christ is there. God is there. But the Spirit is here with us, in us, right now. That's not something we have to wait for. That's what Paul's talking about when we talk about being of good courage. Don't just like, well, but uh, get excited because summertime's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heaven's great. We want to be there. But, you know, it's spring break now, kind of. That's not really a super good metaphor. But the Spirit's here. We can get to work right. You can enjoy a foretaste of eternity and realize the guarantee of salvation. Now, when you say guarantee of salvation, I know that could probably like some waves start. Wait a minute. Here we go again. I thought all oh, salvation was guaranteed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going to argue about the ordo salutis and how people get saved are always. Suffice to say, we know the perseverance of the saints is real. What Paul says here is unequivocal. The Spirit, God, this is in 1 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, guarantees in our world don't mean very much because guarantees could be, oh, I didn't mean that, or the person that gave you that guarantee is dead, so the guarantee is null and void. God and the Spirit don't die. Their guarantees last forever. We are guaranteed. The Spirit is here to remind us that there is something coming. God will not forsake us. We talked about this in our small group. I plug our small groups a lot. But if, if you could find 45 minutes to an hour and you've got some questions about the sermon, come to one. You can sit in on teams. You don't have to say a word. We don't take role. We don't go around for prayer requests. We don't do any of that in that group. It's specifically on study. But we get a chance to talk through the gaps in our sermon and, and some of the passages, areas, areas of the passage, rather, that are difficult. And this was one that we got to talk about today is this notion about, well, what about the end of this? And, and what can we do now? And what if we're forlorn? What about suffering? And how does this work? And should we avoid it? The Spirit is here so that we know we are saved. When we are feeling like the world is coming down on us, we can say, Spirit, I, let me get into the Word, and I need the Spirit to take this Word and do something in me that I cannot do for myself. I cannot do it. I need the Spirit. And God says, yeah, use the Spirit. The Spirit is there. Listen to the Spirit. Seek the Spirit. Seek the will of God. Know that as the Spirit dwells with you, that you are saved forever. This is a short time. and we'll likely die on this earth, but we will live forever. And the Spirit's a reminder of that. Knowing this, knowing that that's the case, we must rely on faith and not our eyes. Now, we need to use our eyes. And I'm not saying we should just walk through the world blind and not observe what's around us. But if we know that the Bible says one thing, the truth is, is thus, but the world looks a different way, we know the world is a lie. We have to know that. When people tell us that there is no God, that's not true. Well, look at all the evidence, right? All these things we thought were of God over the time we've now proven are just acts of science or whatever. Like, okay, well, God created science too. There's still 
room for God. No matter what you say, don't rely on just your eyes. We rely on faith, not our eyes. We use our eyes. We trust our eyes, but we don't rely on them. There's a big difference. I work with a lot of people that I like a great deal. They're hard workers and they're great folks. But I would not say that I rely on them. I love my wife dearly. In some areas, I rely on her. But she's not the exclusive thing that I rely on. I rely on God, Christ alone, the work that he has done, and faith. That's it. It all banks on that. The ability for my marriage to keep going, the ability to parent my, my, my daughter, do that job well enough comes from the Holy Spirit steering me in a way that would glorify God best. That's where I rely. I trust my eyes. I do a lot of things, but I rely on faith. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in everything. We need it. If we don't have it, we are at a disadvantage, a gross disadvantage, an, un, an, an unassailable disadvantage. It can't be overcome without the Spirit. And that is the sort of thing that, that Paul's trying to remind them of. I know you might be, ah, I wish we could just go to heaven, but since we can't, why bother? Right? I'm not even sure if this is even worth our time anymore. I don't even know if it's real. You know, we keep saying God's good, but look at all the suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? All these questions that we hear the world asking of us, we probably ask ourselves when terrible things come up, are born of this idea that my eyes tell me this isn't good. My eyes are telling me this isn't good. My emotions, my heart is telling me it's not good. And maybe that I've been isolated, and that God doesn't love me. I've been left alone. I'm alone. I, 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 there's no hope. That's what I'm thinking. That's a lie. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, will change us in that regard. Take, take that doubt away. And then we see Paul mention a judgment seat. A judgment seat? Wait, I thought I was saved. That's true. This isn't a judgment of salvation seat. This isn't the separating of the goats from the sheep. It's not that. This is a, a judgment seat that we'll, we'll all stand in front of. And we'll be judged based on what we did in this earth. And we don't work for our glory, nor this reward. And this is a tricky thing. You might read this passage and think, well, then I got to get to work because I want rewards in heaven. You know, I want the big mansion on the hill or whatever that may be, a, a crown. When I lay it at Christ's feet, he's going to bejewel it and then give it back to me because I did so many wonderful things. I stored up treasures in heaven. Anybody ever heard that? Say that a lot when bad things happen, you have to work with like maybe a group of kids that are difficult in some regard or something. You're like, well, treasures in heaven. I'll, I'll take the gig. I'll prepare the, I'll do the Sunday school, treasures in heaven. The, the whole point is, yeah, I'm doing this. I don't want to do it, but I'll get something for it in the end game, right? That's a dangerous thought, right? It's true because it's here in the Word. So we will get rewarded for the things that we do. But the key thing here is we're not working for our glory nor the reward. This is a trope that's used in movies and they try to get philosophical, right? The only person that can wield this is the person that doesn't want to wield it. There's a sword. I don't, uh, here's an amulet that you can only wear if you don't want to wear it. Like, well, who would wear it if they don't want to wear it? Well, there's an understanding that comes from that. These rewards are given for people who did the work for the glory of God. And God, in his infinite wisdom and kindness, is going to reward us when we get to heaven for serving him. We get the reward because we didn't want it. Had nothing to do with the treasures in heaven. The treasure in heaven is God. That's, that's the treasure. That's why I'm here. It's the John Piper bit where he talks about, yeah, if you got to heaven and all your loved ones are there and there's no more sickness and, and no more sin... 
And all the things you love to do, all your hobbies are readily available and, and you can completely do them without pain or worry or concern at all. But Christ wasn't there. What do you think about that? And a lot of people are like, that yeah, sounds great. Well, I could probably live without Jesus. Like, ah, bummer. Figure that out. That should be heartbreaking because eventually you'll grow weary. Anybody that's been married for a while or has had kids or has a family knows you will grow weary of your family. They will start to drive you nuts. I love my family dearly, but spending eternity with them alone, we'd probably end up in some sort of a, 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 a family slaughter event because it'd be too much. The, the presence of God is different. It's di- we, we'll never grow weary of God and he'll never grow weary of us. Right? Everybody gone on a, anybody ever been on a car trip that lasts about 10 hours? Did you arrive and during the time, like, we had a wonderful trip. Everybody stayed in good spirits the whole time. We were of good courage. It was great. 10 hours went by just like that, and it was a wonderful time. With some kids in the back, they all stayed quiet, and they played on their phones or read their books or whatever. Nobody touched anybody else. They didn't eat. I didn't have to intercede. I never had to threaten to pull the car over or turn it around. Of course not. It's a train wreck. We're just, let's just get there. That is how we're living life right now. We're in a car filled with the world. Quit touching me. She touched my thing. Uh, everybody quiet. Just let's get to heaven. And Paul's saying, careful, 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 careful. Don't think about it that way. Yes, we want to get there, but don't treat people nice here because you want a reward in heaven. Treat people nice because you see them as image bearers in God, that he creates them and loves them, cares for them. And we're called to tell them the truth, to try to reconcile them to their savior, to their creator. Then when we get to heaven and we stand in front of the judgment seat and Christ goes through all this thing and we're nodding our heads like, I did do that, I did do that, I did do that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Why? It's commanded to do it and glorified God. Great, here's a boatload of reward. Other people will say, now wait a minute, I did all that stuff but it, because I wanted to be well-liked in the community. I wanted the people to, to know that I was a Christian and that I was a good person. And like, well, here's a, here's a, here's a, a lukewarm soda. <laughs> what? Enjoy that. That's the only reward you get because you didn't do it for the right reasons. You did it for yourself, and uh, there's no reward in that. The reward comes for doing this work for God. Now, be clear, this isn't a salvation issue. And this is a huge gray area. Great conversation probably for a small group. But there is this idea that like, yeah, 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 you're going to heaven. But even in heaven, there's going to be an opportunity for us to look at all the things we did and go over why we did them. And then when we, when we move into heaven, there's going to be folks that are going to have more rewards than others because the work they did on earth, they got it. They did the work. That's what we want to be doing. That work is the Ministry of Reconciliation. I know it kind of sounds like an arm of the British government. As I typed it out, I thought, oh, yes, the Ministry of... They say ministry instead of department, you know, here in America. But the Ministry of Reconciliation, it may be, there may be a Ministry of Reconciliation somewhere buried in in British government. But here, it refers to a key ministry for believers. I think Paul's case is very clearly made, and it's very compelling. This isn't just a side journey about reconciliation. Reconciliation is not just a ministry, it is the ministry. The Great Commission is to tell the world about Christ. I think we would all agree upon that, right? That's very simplified, of course. But this isn't just to check the box, but rather to reconcile his chosen to him. J.D. Greer, the the, uh, uh, Baptist pastor, former chair of the SBC, he often said, uh, it's, it's interesting how the more I preach the word, the more elect come to Christ, right? We talk about those who are his chosen. Yeah, we don't know who they are. Christ does. God does. Our call, tell everybody. Those who he wills will come to him. So that's our job. But what are we doing that for? 
Not to just say, hey, we did it. We get a loud horn, a bullhorn, this is the truth of the Bible. Okay, goodbye. That's all we had to do. The goal was just to say words. No. The goal is reconciliation. We want people to hear the words. We want the Spirit to change them. And through that, they are reconciled to God through Christ. Now, Paul's making an observation here that may seem very obvious, but it is worth restating, right? He's reminding them that our goal is not just to do things. We aren't just to be busy. We're not just supposed to be milling about, uh, doing great commission things, doing kingdom work, whatever that means. No, the terminus here is to get people connected to God. And then he also makes a note that being reconciled to God is not worth boasting about. Oh, I'm, I, I got reconciled to God, and so I'm, I'm up here now. I'm in the echelon of, of those who are saved. Uh, so good for me, and I wish the same good for you if you'd care to do it. But by the way, it's kind of a, a big deal, and not everybody gets to be saved. And That's not the approach. Let's do this differently. The world judges based on what is seen on the outside. If you ever had a doubt about this, I don't know how you could, but just turn on the TV, read a magazine, talk to anybody. And we have supermodels that don't look like me, and we have athletes that don't look like me, uh, because the outside and what is seen is important to the world. It's very, very critical. The stronger person gets the, the job of doing the stronger person things. We celebrate that. We have huge billion-dollar industries built around organizing people into the very best of humanity. The Olympics are happening right now because of, can you do it better than anybody else? Go prove it. Paul's saying, don't worry about that. Just because somebody is a bigwig in the world, they're the strongest, they're the tallest, they're the prettiest, the most handsome, the smartest, that doesn't mean anything when it comes down to the stuff that matters in eternity. Paul goes so far as to say, we might look crazy to the world when we're neck deep in missionary work. I, I like the way that he says it. it, it it's, uh, if we are, this is a, a 2 Corinthians 5.13. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Right? When I'm doing the work of God, who knows? Who knows what I'm going to be up to? And the world might look at that. Other Christians might look at that and think, that's nuts. You look crazy. You look like you're out of your mind. You look like you're beside yourself. You're not in your right mind. Okay? But that's where God's led me. I'm in the midst of ministry. I'm making choices that don't make sense to you. I'm talking to people that you think can't be saved or have already been cast aside. I disagree. Here I am. Christ called us to it, and that suits us just fine. To be a, a, a little bit candid and transparent, there's a, plenty of people that have asked me, and I'm sure Mike as well, with the church that's the size it is, what's the point? Why? why? I mean, you, what are you doing to grow the church? What are you doing to get numbers? What are you doing to fix this or that or the other? And I think exactly what the word called us to do is what we're doing. And that's it. We're not going to do any big drives. We're not going to try to go above and beyond just to pad the church and get people back in, this, in the pews that we don't know or whatever. God's in charge here. And people will say, you're out of your right mind. What's the point of doing all that? Go to a bigger church. Do something. Do something that encourages larger numbers and reaches more people. Well, the internet's pretty big. And that's where we send our sermons every Sunday. We engage people as much as we can on the internet. It might look crazy to the world when we're neck deep in missionary work. And I feel a lot of times that we're neck deep around here. But Christ called us to this, and it suits me just fine. If Christ calls me away from this pulpit, I'll go. He has not done so. 
Why? Because there's beauty in reconciling. I don't know how many people have seen our preaching, have heard our singing in this church. I don't know. But there could have been two or three people in the last year or two that have been reconciled to Christ by hearing some words of, of a song or some scripture that encouraged them to go take a, take a look again and reignite a faith in them or to lead them into another congregation. That's what I'm banking on. This is the truth of God, and when we proclaim it, it doesn't come back void, so it can't be coming back void. What we're reconciling to and why this is beautiful is because Christ died once for everybody. Thus, our sinful selves also dead. If we live now, we live for Christ. And all who are saved are alive in Christ. Therefore, we all live to serve Christ alone. It's a, it's a, the, the, the way Paul says this and states it, it's worth rereading in a time when you feel like, I, not me, not me, I slipped through the cracks. I'm still a mess. I don't know that I'm fully saved yet. You know, I expect it to be better. Now we died to that. We're no longer slaves to sin. You're, you're saved, you are alive in Christ. And through that life is what we're going to do that makes the difference. We serve Christ. That is beautiful. And when we talk to other people and we say, I don't know, life's pretty good right now, that's true. But imagine having eternity at your fingertips, a constant reminder, a guarantee of salvation. So from now on, now that we're reconciled to Christ, we regard people not based on flesh. This will deceive us. It will deceive us. People that look like they've got it together, they're well-dressed, they're attractive, they're well-spoken. They're very, very, they're, there's a reason that the, all the, the, the prosperity preachers and the health and wealth folks that are, are turning the word of God into something it was never intended to be and using it as a sword to cut people down and give them false hope and extort money from them. You don't see a lot of unattractive, bumbling fools. They're all very dynamic and easy to look at. They dress nicely and they have fancy areas that they live and preach from. That's because that looks good to the world. When people want to know about Christ, that's what they want. I want success. I want to be handsome and well-dressed and well-spoken. I want to have many people love me and admire me. That's what I want. So the world is attracted to that. But that's not Christ. It has nothing to do with the ministry that is described in the Word. Paul lets us know that we, aren't, we don't regard people based on flesh because it's deceiving. We did this with Christ for a time. He was in the flesh, but no longer. We don't think about Christ's earthly time and worry about that or pine or what. what that's all over now. His time of ministry is done. He is now completely resurrected at the right hand of the Father for all eternity. And we regard him now as an intercessor, as a, as a creator, as a part of the Godhead proper back in his position of holiness at the right hand of the Father. Thus, anyone in Christ is a new creation as well. Once you are in Christ, the old has passed away. The flesh is no more, and a new spiritual being has come. Now, this part, this verse is cited endlessly, especially around baptisms. We baptize people say, the old is gone, and the new has come. And you are a new creation. But the context here is interesting. Paul is not talking to them about themselves. He's talking to them about the regard they need to have for others. When you're looking at the world around you, stop seeing the flesh. Stop seeing the flesh. When you're interacting with other people in the church and they're driving you nuts or they sure are handsome or attractive, 
Stop all that. Know that everybody in Christ is a new creation. When we go and approach the world, as these folks that we don't know if they're going to get reconciled to Christ, we don't know that. But the approach is that these, these people, if and when they're reconciled to Christ, will become new beings. We need to start seeing the world through this spiritual eye. Not what we see, oh, this person's beyond hope. Have I ever heard that? I probably said it. Oh, they're beyond salvation almost. You know, and we say it kind of in passing. But that, that thing that rattles around our head is real. We know folks that have wronged us and they've never asked for forgiveness and they've just doubled down on treating people like garbage. And we say, well, I can't wait till they get what's coming to them. My mother used to teach eighth grade, taught it for years. And there was, when I was growing up, she would say all the time things like, uh, he's going to get his bell rung in high school, right? There's this notion of like, he's a big dog now in a little middle school. When he gets to high school, oh, hanging around with those seniors, they'll put him in his place. Now, I don't know if that ever happened. But she, as a teacher who cared and was invested in her kids, still had some kids that were real turds. And she struggled with them and thought, I can't help them. But I'll tell you what, the world, the high school, they'll fix them up. Because the kids in the high school can do stuff that I can't do, like push them up against the locker and tell them I'm going to see you after school if you don't give me your lunch money. Mother couldn't, my mom could not do that legally. Um, but the, the kids in the high school could. And it would put them in their place that they are not in charge. They are not a big deal. When we see that sort of stuff in the world, we as Christians need to know that that person may be acting tough because they're scared. But in there is a person that, a, 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 a spiritual being, whether we agree with that or not, that needs salvation. And while we're frustrated with the things they're doing in this world, we want a new being to come for them. We want them to be transformed by Christ. We want them to be reconciled to Christ. When I see somebody beating up somebody else, I want them both saved. It doesn't mean I don't intervene, but I want them both reconciled to Christ. I want them to both enjoy being a new spiritual being and not a fallen, broken spiritual being that they are today, completely dependent on the world. The flesh, it says, is no more, and a new spiritual being has come. This, we would all nod our heads and say, yeah, 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 but do we approach the world this way? That's what Paul's imploring them to do. He's not just writing them a letter like, here's a fun fact. He wants them thinking about this differently. Not saying, oh, yes, I'm a new spiritual being. Thanks, Paul. I'm going be, to ponder about my new spirituality and leave. No, that's not the goal. Take that knowledge. Yes, you're a new spiritual being, but what about your ministry? How does my new spiritual beingness understanding thereof, impact my ministry. When I look around, I think, if I'm a new, new creation in Christ, that means everybody that declares that their Christ is a new creation in Christ. So what was the old creation in Christ? Well, I guess it also was a spiritual being, but it was, it's a broken, busted, helpless, sin-dependent, sin-enslaved, enshrined spiritual being. Dead. I want that fixed for them. I see somebody doing terrible things in the world. I want that to change for them. I don't just want to tell them to stop and put them in prison. I want them to know who Christ is. I want the Spirit to start working in their lives. Penultimately, where did all this come from? Paul's good idea? Our hard work? No. <laughs> it's God. Spoiler alert. God's the old, uh, is it Jesus? Yes. It is, in fact. God did it. All of this is from God who reconciled all of us to Him through Christ. We can only understand and comprehend and share the good news of reconciliation because we were first reconciled. We can only love because he first loved us. It all starts with God. God began the ministry of reconciliation that we are carrying out today. And we need to be focused on God's plan for his elect and not our desires. Very easy to find the things we like to do that happen to align with ministries, a very common thing, and say, that's what we'll do. What do you like to do? I like to parasail. Great, let's make a parasailing ministry. 
Ta-da! We don't see that in the Bible. That's okay. We got a parasail ministry. Who's there? Well, nobody. A bunch of people that I know that we parasail with, and we, you know, have a few beers, and then we, you know, we leave. Uh, when we first came in here, there was a conversation that I remember, and Mike spoke up and said, "If we don't even share the gospel, we really can't call it an outreach or a ministry. <laughs> like we can't just like have ice cream and say it's a ministry, right? Ta-da! We just..." Boom, boom, I now declare you a ministry, whatever that means. No, ministry is what are we doing here for Christ? Can we have ice cream and make it a ministry? Yes. Can we go parasailing as a group and share the love of Christ and the good news? Yes. But you've got to share the love of Christ and the good news. And Paul's saying, yeah, you guys like to get together, you like to do fun stuff, but you're missing the bigger picture. There's a lost world out there, and you're emulating them because they don't have any idea what you're doing, what you're doing. You don't seem to care about them at all. They're lost, they're floundering around out there, and you're pretending you're like them. Because you want to be attractive to them. Well, they don't need you to be attractive. They need Jesus Christ. How do I? Follow the example that God set through Christ. Through Christ, our trespasses are not counted as ours any longer. This is of God. I wish I could forgive and forget like God does. I wish I could. And someday, I imagine I will be able to because there will be no more sin. So dwelling on the past. But for now, that's a problem. That's a problem. But we, as Christians, can lean on the Spirit to have change in that. Uh, my wife has a great story of forgiveness, a long arc of forgiveness. That I'm sure still continues to this day in a very long tale. It's difficult for us. But people do terrible, terrible things to us. They may not even realize how impactful it was. And we have to learn to see them as more than just terrible things in the world, to intercede for them and pray for them and forgive them, even if they don't want forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is much better if all parties involved can come together and say, I know I screwed it up. I'm really sorry. It's okay. I forgive you. It's easier to forget that. But that doesn't always happen. And Paul's saying, Christ through God, yeah, we repent of things, but we continually sin. And God doesn't just forgive us. He forgets that we did it. It's been assigned to Christ. It's been paid for on the cross. As we approach the world and we approach people and the congregation in our families and communities that do wrong to us, we, we do well to remember that to try to follow that example, to be gracious in forgiveness, to understand that people will mess up. And they may not even understand how badly they messed up, but we can talk to them and say, here's how badly you messed up, but I want you to know that I am willing to forgive you. If they say, I don't want your forgiveness, I'm glad I did it, I'm going to do it twice more. That's tough. That's tough. Christ is dealing with those kind of people too. I'm sure whatever we're dealing with, he's dealt with a billion fold. But we're called to do it. We are given the task of continuing Christ's work of reconciling gods to God. If someone belongs to God, we want them to get back to God ASAP. That's why we do what we do. God chose us to do this. This isn't like, oh, God will just save everybody in his own time. We're just kind of helping out. No, it's not shake and bake. And I help. It's not that. We are the shake and bake, I guess. And God has helped himself by putting us on the chicken. This has gone way off the rails metaphor-wise. But effectively, we are part of the plan. We're not just like, oh, God's got this. And he's like, yeah, okay, here's a controller with no wire hook to it. You're playing too. It's not that. We are in the game. We are part of God's plan for how he's going to reach other people. It's serious business. Paul gets it. That's why he's bothering. He could have just said, out ah, of heck with, you know, those idiots, they want to have prostitutes in the church and whatever. That's fine. Literally to hell with them. I don't care. He could have said that, but he didn't. Why? Because Paul knows this ministry is critical. If we don't do it, it will not get done. Now, well, that's not true. You can't thwart the will of God. No, you can't. But God said in his word, I want you to do this. It's important that you do this. Please do this. Why don't we just do it? 
God said we should do it. Let's do it. Let's not debate about what he meant by, did he really need to do it? Is it everybody needs to do it? Just some of us need to do it? Let's all do it. The word of God is written to all of us as it's written to one of us. It's not about us. It's about God. I take my desires and my ideas and whatever thought processes I have, and I say, how does that compare to God's? Is it different? Then mine are, are wrong. I've got a problem here. It's not God didn't think it through, or this isn't clear enough. I'll help God out. No, 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 no. God doesn't need my help, but he has absolutely employed us to do things. Could he save everybody with a snap of his fingers and call it a day and end the world and we all just go to heaven? Yes. Why doesn't he? Doesn't glorify him as much as the way we're doing it right now. That's the only answer I've got. We'll ask him that when we're in heaven. Why didn't you just take everybody and save them and take them right to heaven? And he can explain maybe how the glory of God works and how he constructed this. But if he tries, it might make our heads explode. So he'll probably say, I can't do it. Even in your resurrected bodies, it would be bad for you. Just let me be God and do God decisions. And you guys continue worshiping me. All right, points to ponder. Heaven is coming, but we have got work to do. God has reconciled us to him because of Christ's work through others. God will reconcile others to him because of Christ's work through us. These are three solid points in one chapter. If nothing else, if the rest of this is like, I don't quite get it, take these three points, go back through, and try to figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> because in this chapter alone, this is sort of how it squares up. Yes, there's, a good news. there's great news coming down the road. There's super good news right now, and let's get to it. We don't want to dwell on heaven endlessly. Uh, what are we saying in small group today? Don't, don't get so heaven-focused that you're no good on earth or you're no earthly good. That was what it was. That's easy to do. Well, just one of these days in heaven. I just can't wait. To, yeah, be, be anticipatory of that. It's exciting, but there's so much to do. Heaven is coming. So this place is no picnic. I'll be the first to tell you. There's some great things that happen on this earth. Some wonderful things. Some really encouraging moments. High emotion. Very rewarding. But there's a lot of really low points too. A lot of really, really low points. And for every time you think things are going great for me and we had a really exciting thing and I got to, you know, Emma's had a big achievement or something and we're like, we're so happy for her. There's somebody else that just lost their child. And they don't want to hear about that right now. Now, if we think about us in our world, we can get caught up in that, the joy of the earth and let's manufacture more. But just know, Every time something's going great for you, there are folks out there that are suffering at the deepest part of sadness and despair. I often think that it takes more, far more faith to be an atheist. I've said that for years. I look at the world around me. I don't know how anybody does it without the idea of a, of a sovereign God and, a, and an eternity of peace and prosperity. Eternity of that. Not here. Peace and prosperity here? Don't know. But eternity? Oh, yeah. Perfect peace. We as Christians know better and we should act like it. The world shouldn't see us as a bunch of depressed, hand-wringing, you know, constantly scowling, constantly, oh no, and the sky is falling kind of people. We should be on fire for the Lord. I live, I die. Great. I win, I lose. Awesome. God wins. He's sovereign. We lost the game. Don't care. I mean, did my best, but I'm not going to go home and be like, I'm a fool and a failure. No, you didn't. You did your best. You lost, right? I have to say to him, the only thing we can do is our best, right? If I had to jump as high as I could, it won't be as high as somebody else, but it's my best. Could I be better at it? Sure. And if God calls me to be a higher jumper, then I'll start working at that. But I'll know why. And if it's just for me and my glory because I want to be the highest jumper, then I shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't pan out for me. And I shouldn't be depressed by that. God said no. I insist. 
Still no. The only thing that matters here is the work of the Lord. We get so caught up in a million other things that take our time away. That are good, not necessarily bad things, right? Could be good for us, good for our family, things that are very necessary, paying your bills, working at your job. This is critical in order for us to, to thrive in the world today. But it's not the, it's not the end goal. It's to endlessly get a better job and make more money. The work of the Lord is what matters. God has reconciled us to him because of Christ's work through others. Man, it's just easy to forget, but don't. A select few came to Christ literally, right? He had a few that they got to like, Christ spoke to them and they were like, yes, I'm healed and saved. Boom, right away. Nobody nobody had to mediate between them and Christ. But for the, the, the far greater came to Christ because of the work of others. Other people telling the truth, telling the good news. I came to Christ because of somebody who shared the good news of the gospel. Not Christ himself in my presence, but obviously Christ himself did the saving, right? Through the Holy Spirit in my life. This is God's plan in action. And these folks are only as special as God made them through Christ. Paul reiterates that here. Don't boast, you know, boast in us and that we're so flawed and broken and bad. You can boast in that. Look at these idiots. They're terrible. And God loves them. Like, oh yeah, okay, that's good to know. But the, I didn't point to these idiots. I meant figuratively, these figurative idiots over here. There's nobody over there that I pointed to. Just for folks watching at home, like, oh, there are idiots in the church? Yeah. <laughs> Look at these idiots over here. There's a few back there even. You're all barely making it, but well, good for you. But Paul's saying we're only as special as God makes us, right? There's nothing about me that gives me the ability to stand in this pulpit and you not the ability to do that. Anybody can share the good news of Christ, but there's various degrees of skill and capability, and that's okay. But all of it is in God's, for God's glory, in God's power. <clears throat> and lastly, God will reconcile others to him because of Christ's work through us. This is the pay it forward idea. What Christ has done for me, I want him to do for others. There's a prosperity meme that's going around of a pastor, and he's, he's, he's just praying, and people use it all the time when something good happens. Somebody else says, Lord, I see what you've done for others. I want you to do that for me. This guy prayed it, right? This is a real thing that he said, right? This person hit the lottery. I want that. And I look at that, and I think, if you ever wonder, if you ever wonder if something's a prosperity gospel, see what they're praying about. If they are saying, God, you have done wonders for me beyond my wildest dreams, I pray you'll start doing that for others. That is solid prayer. I, there's not a thing in my life that's more important than what Christ has done on the cross for me. And I want others to realize that. Oh, but he's run the lottery. That's not going to matter at all. I pray he knows the love of God as God has shown me the love of God. Oh, you're praying for that, but he's already gotten pretty good. Not good enough. I don't know. But I pray not for what I've, what I've seen him do in others' life for me, but I pray in what God's done in my life for others. There's a world full of lost, hopeless hapless people. And God has charged us with engaging with many of those people. Not all of them, necessarily. I mean, that's a lot of folks you'd have to deal with. It, but certainly many, not one or two, not the people in this congregation, and only the folks you work with. We're charged with talking to a lot of folks. I'm sure anybody here could relate an opportunity where you felt very strongly the Holy Spirit pulling you to say something to somebody. And maybe you did it, maybe you didn't. But I bet you remember it. I bet you remember a moment like that. I can think of probably six or seven, maybe double digits if I gave it more thought, of times when it was really obvious. Somebody was hurt, like, I just can't deal with it anymore. I'm so tired. I'm frustrated with my church, or something like that. I'm like, oh, I got a chance here, but I don't want to rock the boat. Talk, to talk about God's reconciliation, we need to understand it ourselves. And it doesn't mean I have the answer to every question.